Today is the third Sunday of Lent, that season of preparation for new life. The word Lent comes from the Old English word for spring, which gives us a clue about what it means, that it's not only a time of penitence or guilt, but a time of refreshment, growing, new life. And I wonder how Lent is going for you, if you have really dug in and embraced new practices or fasts. Or if you found you need to just let some of that go. Or if you're practicing simply by being present in worship. However Lent is going for you is great. It's exactly what God needs to be doing in your life. We're talking about spiritual practices this Lent. Ways that we can draw closer to God. These are not things to get perfect or right. These are practices ways we practice the presence of God. We've talked about fasting and prayer, and this week our practice is listening. And our text is a story of listening from 1 Kings chapter 19. Just to give you a bit of background of what happens before this, the main character is Elijah. He is one of the prophets of Israel and a huge character, just a giant in Israelite history. And his primary task in the world was to call Israelites back to worshiping God. They got off track just like we do, and he was constantly trying to call them back. And the primary obstacle or distraction for them was this other Canaanite god called Baal. And so Elijah was always doing battle with them, sometimes figuratively and sometimes literally. And just before our story today, Elijah's had a big face-off with prophets of Baal, and, um, and he won in a big, huge way. And then he and his compatriots went and killed a bunch of them, which is awful. There's no way I know to make that okay in our modern calculus. But in the story, in the narrative, this is a huge success for Elijah. And then this happens. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors." Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. And he looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came to him a second time, touched him and said, Get up and eat. 
Otherwise, the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. At that place, he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. The voice of the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. The Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Elijah has this huge success. And then he falls into the depths of despair. He is terrified. He wants to die. He feels utterly alone and isolated. He can't do anything but sleep. He can barely even manage to feed himself. Elijah is depressed. And maybe you can relate. Maybe depression is part of your emotional landscape as well. Or maybe you have walked with a loved one, a friend or a family member or a coworker through that kind of valley, accompanied them through hard, dark days. Maybe depression has been a significant part of your life, dragging you down into that world where all the color leeches out of the world and you're left trudging through sludge day after day after day. And Elijah is so depressed that he wants to die. He has suicidal ideation in our modern language. And I want to call attention to the fact that all of that is present in our text. Elijah, one of the most prominent figures of our faith, someone that Jesus is repeatedly compared to, a giant in the history and in the tradition, got depressed. There's no moral failing in depression. It's not something you pray away. It's chemical and situational and so often beyond our control. And if that's where you are today, I want you to hear this. You are not alone. 
you are not alone. Our heroes in the faith and people around you have walked these same roads. You're not alone. In his depression, Elijah is visited by an angel, a messenger. And the angel does not say, pull it all together, Elijah, and buck up. The angel does not say, happy up, Elijah. The angel says, honey, how about you eat something? And Elijah does. And then he collapses again and goes back to sleep. And again, the angel doesn't come and say, buck up. You had something to eat. Get better. The angel comes back and says, honey, eat a little more. You'll feel better. Elijah needed a snack and a nap, as Emily mentioned to me this morning. How often we need a snack and a nap. The bread of heaven is not a once-and-done sort of thing, where we get a little and then we're fixed. God comes back again and again and again, as often as we need, until we're restored to life. And so at last, Elijah is ready for his journey. He goes 40 days and 40 nights into the wilderness on his own, and he climbs a sacred mountain and he hides in a cave, and he waits. And the word of the Lord comes to him, which for Elijah was a regular experience. It might not be for us, but it was for him. And the voice compassionately asks, what are you doing here? And he says, I'm all alone, even though he wasn't. But he feels that way. He says, I'm all alone, and I'm failing, and I can't get anywhere with this an honest opening of his heart. And then things turn. Go out. I'm going to pass by, says the word of the Lord. And Elijah goes out and covers his face. There are some things too holy to look at directly. And there's a tremendous wind. And that's not it. And there's an earthquake, and that's not it. And there's a fire, and that's not it. And then there is sheer silence. And that is where Elijah encounters God. Our practice is listening. And I think it's a harder practice than fasting or prayer. At least for me, but maybe I just like to talk too much. But it is a hard practice to listen. To really listen. Elijah has a lot of choices about what and who he listens to. And I think that's part of the trick with this practice. There's so much we can listen to. How do we choose? Where do we genuinely encounter that word of life? How do we know it when we hear it? 
Elijah had a lot of voices in his head. He had a lot of choices about who and what he listened to. There's the genuine external threat of Jezebel's promise to kill him. That's something he could listen to and shape his life around. And then, even worse, there are all those internal voices for Elijah, telling him he's a failure, he's all alone, he'd be better off dead. And those are even harder to shut off, to block out. Maybe you have some of those voices, or maybe other ones that tell you you're not good enough, or not strong enough, or not pretty enough, or just not enough. question is, what do we listen to? And right now, we are absolutely inundated with news. And when there's a crisis like there is right now, it is so hard to turn it off for any period of time. We can feel guilty for stepping away from the news for a period of time. There is so much to listen to, so many voices that come our way. Part of listening is that discernment piece. What is the word of life? I think part of that discernment, or at least for me and my practices, can come through meditation or something like meditation. I don't claim to be any sort of master at that at all. I mostly, when I meditate, sit and just think a lot of thoughts, which is the opposite of what you're supposed to be doing. But teachers tell me that you can begin by simply hearing what's around you, letting all those noises wash over you. The birds chattering, the heat pump kicking on, the dishwasher going, little feet running, Neighbors playing music. All those noises just washing over you without judgment, without attachment, just letting it be. Like the wind passing and the earthquake passing and the fire passing until at some point it all settles down. And there's some silence. And you can hear what you most need to hear. That word of life. And that is how we discern what voice is true. Does it renew and regenerate? Does it refresh us? Does it give us fresh lease on life? If it is one of those voices, it is God's voice. If it greets us in our pain and says, honey, have something to eat. If it's a voice of compassion, that's the voice of God. At some point, it's stupid to keep saying a lot of words about listening. So I'm going to stop and invite us to listen together for a few minutes before we sing our next hymn. Come, enjoy the silence.